Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Quite dangerous, regardless of any team they play in the world. Hmm, interesting stuff there. Um, we've, we've been doing this a bit, and I'm, I'm getting excited about it. Uh, you know, um, I I'd regularly will stay away from it, but what are we looking at in terms of the potential score lines? You know, I know some people are out there listening to us. You know yourselves, right? Well, but we're not <laughs> going to talk about you. Yeah. I think this is Morocco's game. Um, I think they have too much individual quality. Whilst the conundrum of figuring out the best approach to each of these three games is real, I think having that much winning ability is going to count for something. Because you can't have El Nasiri, you can't have Hakim Ziyech or Nahi in the form that he is, all of them contributing the insurance that Amrabat provides for the back line. And Roman Saiz has been in imperious form and not be able to, I mean, get it past Tanzania in your opening game. What I'll caution, however, is not to take this game for granted. And as you have explained, we've seen Tunisia, Ghana, Egypt, Nigeria, all of these teams being punished because they took things for granted. And, I mean, and Egypt were not particularly guilty of that, but they simply did not do enough to win. So they need to be wary of that. But at, at the end of the day, I think a two-goal win should be enough for them. Two-goal win from your end. What, what about you as well? I think two-goal to nothing. Two-to-nothing two is fine? Two-to-nothing for All right. <laughs> so is unanimous here in the studio. Remember, I am asking the questions, so I get to stay away from all of it. Uh, <laughs> but remember, yesterday we got one wrong, which was the, you know, the Tunisia-Namibia game. Yeah. So, yeah, don't get too flattered, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're still here on AFCON today on Joy News, on Joy Prime, and on Joy 99.7 FM. Well, we'll be getting down to the next game uh, which will be played. Remember, there are two fixtures uh, today. And, of course, the big focus for tomorrow will be the Black Stars. But now, let's throw the focus on DR Congo and, um, and, and Zambia. Well, talk about, you know, uh, the likes of DR Congo and, and, and all of that. You do remember that Kennedy Mwene uh, made an emphatic statement that the Black Stars were going to be eliminated from this tournament. We'll talk about all of that tomorrow as we build up. But... DR Congo versus Zambia. Now, Zambia, you know, came into the 2012 tournament, came in real strong, getting a lot of inspiration from the national team, members of the national team who perished in that air crash, yeah. sorry, in the, uh, you know, the airplane crash uh, back in the 90s and all of that. And, and they got it right. Of course, uh, you know, they had to do that at Ghana's expense once again. But now we're looking forward, and this becomes a very tough fixture to, to, to look at. Yeah. Um, what did the trick for them many years ago was playing football that was very fluid, very direct, and essentially gave teams less time to adjust and react to what they were doing. And, and you had all of these players who were excelling on the continent. So Stopila Sunzu uh, later went on to win a number of Champions League titles with, with Mazembe, the Katungo brothers, and all of these players who excelled. While they do not have that kind of quality, that continentally relevant quality anymore. They still have some decent players who are doing well in even more advanced leagues. So there's Pats and Dakar and the rest of the pack. But I think the biggest trump card for Zambia has got to be the man leading the team, Ibram Grant. And 
when I think of how he led Ghana to the AFCON final and the stories of the preparation before games, for me, is why I respect him so much as a coach because he will, before even the game starts, go through every single possible scenario that he has to react to. And so he doesn't get taken by surprise. Of course, he had big help at that time from Herod News, who these days is the assistant coach with the Greek national team. I'm not sure who is the man playing that role for him then, but that is the way Abraham Grant works. And if he's able to get that and, and more importantly, get the materials that are providing the solutions. Because it's one thing figuring out what the opponent is going to do. It's one thing figuring out all of the possible scenarios. But having the solutions is another matter. Mm. Okay. So I'm going to leave the most difficult part to you. In 10 seconds, I want to know how this game is going to end, how you project it, based on what Achua said. One DR Congo. One one in whose favor? In, in DR Congo. One nil DR Congo. Well, DR Congo won Zambia nil. I don't know about you, but that's what's been said from here in the studio. Thank you all so much. A lot coming up on all of our platforms. On Joy 99.7 FM, it'll be drive time. And of course, on Joy News, it'll be pulse. Of course, there's more coming up here on Joy Prime. You stay well. We'll be back tomorrow with a big preview uh, towards the Ghana game. Ghana versus Eat. But we're bringing you some more analysis as well when we come back uh, tomorrow on AFCON today. Thank Thank you all so much for watching. Thanks to the whole production team here. And of course, we will be back. Uh, thanks to you, Achu. Thanks so much, Kwejo. Welcome to the marketplace. Coming up, Fist Solutions projects Bank of Ghana will cut policy rate by 8 percentage points to 22% by the end of the year, a move that will stimulate private sector spending. Also coming up, government to open negotiations with Eurobond holders in London on Monday as it moves to restructure about $13 billion of debt. But some cocoa bill holders who decided not to take part in government's cocoa bills exchange program demand full payment. It's not been easy. It's not been easy. My, I've got a kid in school, uh, in the university, and uh, I have medical bills I have to take care of. I have the house I have to take care of. And it's not been easy. My name is Daryl Kwan. Thanks for being with us. Details coming up.
So staying with us, first up, the Bank of Ghana will embark upon a sizable monetary easing cycle, cutting the policy rate by a cumulative 800 basis points to 22% by the end of the year. That's forecast by Fish Solutions. This is says follows a substantial moderation of headline inflation. Here's more in this report. Since 2021, the Bank of Ghana has hiked the benchmark policy rate by 1,150 basis points to 30%. Thus, as restricted access to corporate credit. But with inflation easing substantially, the central bank is expected to embark upon policy easing. However, Fitch Solutions said it usually takes about 12 months for interest rate adjustment to affect the real economy due to the lag in monetary transmission mechanisms. As such, the UK-based firm believes that the Bank of Ghana's dovish monetary policy stance is unlikely to result in a sharp increase in real loan growth, which has remained in contractionary territory over January to August last year. Meanwhile, the Monetary Policy Committee of the Bank of Ghana would hold at 116 regular meetings from Tuesday, January 23 to Friday, January 26 to review development in the economy. Economist and uh, research lead at GCB Capital Courage, which is on Zoom with us. Good afternoon to you, Courage. Um, what are the chances that this happens? What would it take to uh, get to 22% by the end of the year? Oh, good afternoon to your listeners. Um, yes, naturally, the monetary tightening that we saw, the aggressive tightening was in response to inflation. Um, and it was one of the ways to try to bring inflation down a few, uh, tighten the liquidity channels, you mop up excess liquidity from the system, you stop um, deficit financing and the fiscal authority also exercises restraint. All of these combined, plus the effect of base effect uh, and, and a number of other factors, CD stable, uh, petroleum prices and cost pressures easing in general, we would have succeeded in bringing inflation down. And that is exactly what happened. And so naturally, with cost of um, credit so high uh, and growth uh, depressed, it's expected that if inflation uh, starts behaving properly, you would see monetary policy rate also ease to try to stimulate growth. So it's not out of place that focus. They are looking at 800 uh, basis point decline this year. 
my personal projection is about 600 basis points to about 24% um, uh, there about by, by end of year, starting from May. And the reason is that, yes, inflation may have receded to 20, 22 points, uh, I believe 23.2% now, uh, all the way from some 54% at the start of last year. But then we still have risk to inflation. You could see the volatility in the month-on-month inflations, and you could see the fact that we are in election year, and, and expenditure pressures in the election year, even here at all, could pose risk. We see development in the Middle East and its potential impact on oil supply and by extension prices on the market. Um, we are not completely out of the inflation um, troubles yet, even if it receded significantly. And, and for the month January, February, my expectation is that, yes, it will decline, but at very marginal rate. And there could be a reversal in the trend even in March before it ultimately returns to the its inflation path. With that kind of um, uh, uncertainty surrounding there, there may be volatility from March before the ultimate disinflation process declines. I think the Bank of Ghana will want to exercise caution and they will hold the rate this month, potentially in March also. Uh, just to see how uh, actual inflation turns out. And, of course, to observe the trend in the core as well. I expect the core to keep declining. Uh, We haven't seen the rate for, I think, November, December. Uh, It will come, I believe, when they release the data, and we expect it to be declining, but still above the headline, really. And we need to look at what is driving that. So I expect they will start maybe the dovish stance or shift the monetary policy stance from, from May thereabout. And, and, and I expect about 600 basis point cut by end of year to 24%. I mean, first solutions in this analysis said it usually takes 12 months for interest rate adjustments to affect the real economy uh, due to a lag in monetary transmission mechanisms. As such, he believes that the Bank of Ghana's um, dovish monetary policy stance is unlikely to result in a sharp increase in real loan growth, um, which it says has remained in contractionary territory over uh, January to August. Uh, your take on that analysis as well? Well, beyond the trends, um, the, the, the 12-month trend Fetch is talking about, the reality facing us is that, yes, macros may have been proving, uh, but the operating environment is still very much aligned. The country risk are still there. The negative ratings are still there. And and with such a challenge operational environment, banks who are now in the process of trying to recapitalize from the, the, the ravages of DDEP and how it impacted their capital, the, the last thing they want to do is to be aggressive on loans to, to sectors they consider risky or exposed to the economic cycle. And, 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 and for that reason, you may not even see aggressive growth, even if interest rates uh, decline sufficiently. And again, of course, fake argument may be coming from the fact that once loans are expensive, uh, the risk of defaults are higher. And so naturally, and interest rate don't, uh, recede sharply because policy rate is coming down. It's a gradual process. I believe where that is where they are coming from, and and I agree to that to a very large extent. But the operating environment as things are now, even if interest rates drop to maybe a twenty twenty five percent, even overnight, it may not automatically result in 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 aggressive growth in the loan book because the operating environment is still very much aligned. The recovery we've seen is a fragile one. It is, it is not uh, entrenched yet. 
and and there are still substantial risks to the outlook. It all depends on how we sustain the program and the reforms under the program to ensure that we build in irreversibility. And, and until those concerns are fully addressed, mm. I don't think banks in the mode of recapitalizing or shoring up their capital will be so keen on advancing uh, loans. Maybe if if we complement any such policy reactions with drastic declines in table rate, where they are getting closer to where where we knew they, they should have been or they should be, then maybe there may be the motivation to look at a loan book as a way of um, sustaining profits. But other than that, for as long as stable rates as high as they are, um, yeah, there may not be very sharp declines in, 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 in or there may not be sharper growth in loans uh, for the period. All right. And so the Monetary Policy Committee will hold its first meeting for the year next week. Uh, are we going to see a downward review in the policy rate? Do you anticipate uh, because of that because of the decline in inflation? Because there are also some analysts who think it is too early and would be a knee-jerk reaction. It is too early. It is too early. And it may even contradict the Bank of Ghana's stance I mean, themselves that we need to hold rates for longer to, to try to anchor uh, this inflation. And I alluded in my first um, the, the response to the first question that, yes, inflation may have receded, but there is still some substantial growth um, risk to that outlook. Election is one. Development in the global market is another. The CD is still very much vulnerable to shocks, even if we expect some inflows to show up the reserves and, and things like that. So it, it just pays that we stay a bit patient and, and ensure that inflation is firmly anchored. And I think we will start thinking about rate cut when inflation is around 20%. Uh, currently, it's 23.2%. Uh, when it's around 20%, getting into the 19s and, and 18s, I think that would be a good case for bringing out a policy rate. There may have been positive real monetary policy rate now, mm-hmm. uh, but then it should have been the case for a long time. Now we've returned there. We need to sustain that for a while to anchor inflation expectations sustainably. So I think January is too early, uh, even March, because of the noise I spent around inflation in March, even March, I think they will still hold the rate and probably look to the first cut in, in, in May. Mm. And, and finally, also next week, government is expected to formally uh, open negotiations with eurobond holders and commercial creditors in London the engagement will target institutional investors uh, who are holding these financial instruments. Government is seeking to restructure about $13 billion worth of debts. Is also proposing up to 40% interest rate cut. How do you expect negotiations to go? <laughs> to be a tough one? Well, the um, finance minister says to be a tough one. <laughs> 40% haircut is a big one, uh, but I guess the background work has been done. Uh, the negotiations did not start today. They have been going on, I think, since we completed domestic debt restructuring. In fact, it went on alongside. And so the the, the offshore commercial investors, eurobond investors, are pretty much aware of what governments thought are. Again, they are aware of what the debt sustainability thresholds are and what needed to be done to restore debt sustainability. And again, they will be minded by what the official creditors have granted government and what the gap is. To, to do that. So I believe that is a contest. Uh, hopefully we get a deal that works and satisfy the conditions. Uh, that will mean that um, we are restoring their sustainability because there's no point in 
restructuring external debt if it won't give us the disassembly we want. Yeah. And there are thresholds. There are amounts that need to be forgiven and written off and stuff like that before we could get to that that uh, restore their sustainability. So um, um, I think they are aware of those parameters and, and their conversations will center around there. It will be a tough take to, to get um, a 40% haircut, but if that is what it will require, I guess they will have conversations around it. All right. We may not get very easy conclusions, but definitely we'll get something that works. We'll be following. Uh, thank you so much, Courage Booty, Research Lead, GCP Capital. I appreciate your insights as always. My pleasure. Now, turning to Avenue, some cocoa bill holders who decided not to take part in government's cocoa bill exchange program are asking cocoa ball to honor payment before the close of January. They say the inability of government to pay them their monies is affecting their livelihoods. James Ishan visited the Kwam family and comes through with this report. January 2023, money paid to investors who purchase cocoa or individual investors' accounts without their consent. Cocoa Board issued the bill to raise funds. Many had bought the bills expecting to be paid back their monies with interest on Thursday, January 19, 2023. Reports from some fund managers indicated the monies were actually paid on Thursday, January 19, 2023, only to be reversed on Friday, January 20, 2023. The banks have pointed to a directive from the Bank of Ghana ordering them to unilaterally roll over the bonds without first seeking the consent of investors. Banks were under pressure from affected customers. Echikwam, a retiree, was one of the affected customers. He expresses shock at the development since the money was rolled over without his consent. I worked for 35, 36 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started at GB Olivant and then went to Unilever. Then I went to Unilever in Zimbabwe. Then I came back to Guinness in Ghana. Worked for a short time. They asked for the investment. One can say I've been investing for a, a while. Uh, treasury bills here, yeah. uh, fixed deposits, and all those things. And uh, it's only recently that we took the cocoa bills. Six months after the Ghana Cocoa Board launched a debt securities exchange program under which it invited holders of its short-term debt securities or the cocoa bills to voluntarily offer to exchange their cocoa bills. Cocoa bills holders were asked to sign on to the exchange program, but Ichukwam opted out. Uh, as part of our, my retirement, I got a certain amount and I put it there. Uh, if I were uh, in another place, and then they came and made another proposal to us, which was interesting. So we moved our funds, funds there, uh, and uh, we were supposed to enjoy our benefits plus our initial capital in uh, January, January 20. Yeah, that is was in 2000 and <clears throat> 2001, uh, 2023, yeah, 2023. So we were waiting. Then we had some hints that something was up. So we wrote to them and said, look, 
sell our thing and give us back our investment. Okay. And uh, they said they would try. So come uh, the payment time. I saw that the money had been credited to our account in the morning. Before I could say Jack, it had been debited again. So we were rather surprised. And apparently this debt, uh, uh, recovery program had been launched. So we didn't know what was going on. Almost six months after, no communication on the payment for those who decided not to tender. Echikwam and wife, amongst others, are worried why government and cocoa board are failing to honor payments of those who failed to tender their cocoa bills after government pegged the participation in the exchange program at 97%, with over 7 billion Ghana cities bills tended. We have been extremely successful with the current tendering of more than 90% for cocoa bills of 7.9 billion cities and US dollar exchange of 809 million dollars and detailed announcements will flow through when the settlements are done according to gifty kwam wife of h kwam footing the bills of the award in the university has been very difficult because it's morally wrong and in fact it's legally unacceptable you know i mean the trauma even to um, our children who have Jefferson, I'm Justin Jefferson with the Minnesota Vikings. Hi, I'm Jamar Chase with the Cincinnati Bengals. Why do I choose a sleep number smart bed? Because I only go all out. Because I can't be stopped. Because my sleep number smart bed helps me sleep at the right temperature all night. So we can take our game to the next level. That's why 80% of NFL players choose a sleep number smart bed. Sleep next level, perform next level. And now, save 40% on the sleep number special edition smart bed for a limited time. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Sleep number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL to even go through all kinds of things and explanations. It's not right because they know their parents and they know we planned for them. You know. So I'm begging the ministry to pay us our money. That's all. It's our money. You rolled it over without our consent and with your own interest rates. Fine. You give us our money back. Give it, give it to us. That's all we're asking. It's not right to All right, you're watching the marketplace. Uh, turning to the Joy Business Advisory Series. Today's topic is on working capital management uh, from the SME perspective. Samuel Berchi is Senior Manager, Accounting Advisory Services at KPMG. Since you're with me to take a look at this, welcome to uh, the marketplace. I want us to start with the definition of what uh, working capital is for the benefit of our um, audience. Thank you. The working capital management happens to be a capital that every company needs to start a business. Uh, when you start a business, you need to fund uh, uh, the operation. So the money that you need to fund daily activities or operational activities is what we call working capital. But to go a step further, when we talk of working capital management, what we are then talking about is to try to, the process of optimizing the company's current assets and current liabilities in order to maximize operational efficiency. I mean, you talk about maximizing operational efficiency. Talk to us a bit more about why this is relevant for SMEs. So the essence of the um, working capital is so crucial that if you don't have working capital in place, the business can, will not be able to pay debts, 
cannot be able to pay expenses, cannot be able to pay even wages and salaries when they afford you. So the essence of working capital is so crucial that you need it. It's like having a vehicle and no fuel. You can go. In the same way, human being without blood, there is no way you can move about. Therefore, working capital is so essential that regardless of who you are, whatever you are doing, you have, you have to ensure that you have it in place. All right. And so what are the components of um, a working capital uh, management, for, for instance, and how uh, can SMEs embrace them? So working capital, as I've already defined it, we have a number of companies. One, current assets. A current asset as the word is, is defined, current, all assets that are, you are able to convert to cash within one year. An example includes inventories or stocks, receivables or debts, your cash. Mm-hmm. If you have even um, prepayment because it's your money which is with somebody else and receivables. So these are the current assets then the current liabilities are payables, accounts payables, if you have a loan that are payable within one year, or expenses that you have to pay within one year. These are current liabilities. Now, you need to establish the difference between this current access and then current liabilities. In the essence is that the current assets should be able to fund the current liabilities, and if possible, you should have money outstanding in the event that when opportunity raises its head, you have available funds to make. Yeah, I'm I'm going to ask you about, I mean, some of the challenges that um, affect the effective uh, working capital management. But again, just for the benefit of our um, audience, what are the the sources of working capital? How do people generate working capital? I mean, for instance, if somebody wanted to start a business. To start a business, you need capital. But once you are in the business, you need to sell goods. That is inventories. You need to sell. Once you sell, you need to sell on credit unless you get cash. But if you sell on credit, then those people become your debtors, therefore accounts receivables. You can give them maybe credit period, maybe one month, two months, depending the policy that the organization has an SME you have, based on that, then you'll be able to collect them. So you must be able to ensure that you have funds available. If you are giving inventories out, and when you are getting the money back, it should be shorter in such a way that you'll be able to get money, even if you are buying additional inventories, right. you can buy them on time. And all the time you should have available. Yeah, I ask because, I mean, usually when you engage SMEs, once they raise money to start a business, then they get stuck along the way because um, they are not able to manage their working capital well. They don't know how to generate income to keep the business going. And then it's like they come to a standstill and then the business um, runs into a ditch. And so tell us about some of the challenges that um, stifle effective working capital management. Because of what you just said, let me make a response to that, and then I'll come to the challenges. Therefore, we need to establish the difference between initial capital that any SME, when you are starting a business, you start with, and then the working capital. So 
when you start a business, you may need money from a friend or you might have your own money that you are starting the business with. And that is the capital mm-hmm. that you start with if you're a small business. If you're a company, it can be called stated, um, uh, stated capital that you start a business with. But once you are in the business and you are operating on daily basis, you need money to fund whatever you are and that's doing. that's what people don't really think about. They exactly. only think about the money to start, right? Exactly. And that's the reason when money comes, they use it for any other purpose without actually using it to fund what is supposed to be in the organization. Okay. So uh, let's deal with the challenges that um, you know, affect the effective management of um, working capital. So there are a number of them, and I'll put them in three uh, baskets. One, limited access to capital. Because they are SMEs, they will not be able to raise capital on on stock exchange and other big marketplaces. They result in using friends' money or limited funds. Again, because they have limited funds and they are SMEs, they don't have track records mm. that suppliers or banks can leverage or rely on to give them money if they want. And that has been a challenge. Even those that the big suppliers, when they are giving them money because they don't have that capacity, they try to squeeze them. Another one has to be with fluctuations, seasonal fluctuations. Because the ISMEs at times they, they can have a, a lot of demand. At times, the demand will go down. And when that happens, it affects how they do things. If you cast your mind back, even to uh, COVID era, yeah. there are a number of SMEs that were not be able to operate because there were no business. Demand went down drastically. Yeah. yeah. So and then the next one also happened to be... Um, Dependence on fewer suppliers and customers. When you, are, you have one or limited supplier, whatever the supplier says, that's what you do. Okay. And the limited I mean, customers. And when there is a change in demand or when the customer changes this, I mean, you, moves from you, it becomes a challenge for you. you yeah, so we'll conclude because you have just a minute. Um, just give us some of the strategies that um, can help us effectively manage our working capital. So I'll divide the strategy into two. One, general strategy and maybe specific strategy. One, if you are doing, managing your working capital, you should have a policy in place. Okay. And you should assign responsibility, roles and responsibilities to people who are, you are assigning to. Okay. Then what they should ensure that the policies are being operationalized. Now, we, as I spoke about components of working capital management. So the strategy should be also aligned to each of them. So if you pick inventory, because of time, so if you pick inventory, you make sure that you, are, you assess the credit worthiness of your um, customers before you give it out. What? We, are, we are going to continue this conversation tomorrow because you are coming back. Uh, we are going to explore it further uh, so that people will have to understand, so we don't have to rush it through. But thank you so much, uh, Samuel Berchi. He is... Um, Stephen Berchi. Stephen Berchi. I'm sorry about that. Stephen Berchi. He is uh, Senior Manager, Accounting Advisory Services at KPMG. I appreciate your time with us. Uh, more news on our website, myjournaline.com forward slash business. 
You can read more about the finance minister's visit to London next week to engage uh, Eurobond holders. My name is Daryl Kwan. Thanks for watching. We'll be back tomorrow. Welcome to Showbiz News Flash, where we bring you all the just happening in and around the world of entertainment. I am your loyal just girl, Laishola Ademi. Let's get just thing, okay? Now, Kojo Enchi has come out to explain why he has stopped holding his 24th December concert at the National Theatre. Now, according to Kojo, he says that the place is getting spoiled. The places, the air conditions there are not working. The place doesn't look as brand new as it used to look. And a lot of the furnitures are just not looking nice anymore. Anytime he, you know, tells the management about it, they don't do anything. I mean, he's complained over and over and over again, said that he doesn't like how the place is looking, the setup. Sometimes they have struggles with even air condition, the stage, everything that they ask for. Sometimes there's always a problem here and there. They're always picking problems. So he says that he complained a number of times. The management never really listened to him and he just decided to move the place or move his event. That happens every 24 December. So if you realize last year, it wasn't at the National Theater. Now he says that he has also outgrown the place. I mean, if you complain, 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 and nobody is listening to you you will definitely move so yes he's outgrown the place and even though he has no beef with the people who manage the place he's just saying that he's every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer put lifelock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss plus with a u.s-based restoration specialist on your team you won't have to face drained accounts fraudulent loans or other losses from identity theft alone all backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.